0: Saints have before us go no well, welcome back to another edition of the Faithfully Trusted Podcast with Pastor, Author, Teacher, Dr. Travis Tyler. And I am your favorite layperson, Zachariah Pugh III. Travis, how are you today?
1: Great, brother. How are you doing?
0: Very, very good. We're gonna touch, we're gonna get going today because we've got uh, for the first time in our podcasting uh, history, we've got some questions from people, and it goes back to a podcast we did on August 1st, 2022, it was episode number 11. And if you have not listened to that episode, change the station to that episode. No, I'm just joking. You can listen to this. We're going to touch some base on some of that stuff, but it would be good to go back and listen to that episode because that was the episode on what is the Lord's Supper? What is communion? How do you, you know, and we talked about it. We brought up some things there. Communion can be in a way controversial, a lot of the different um religious sects take communion, sex is an S E C T S. And um I, I probably would have said denominations. So I just okay. wanted to clarify that. <laughs> anyway, um, the point is 2022. You got to clarify yeah. all this stuff. Okay. Um, I wanted to so so we had some questions about who should take it, when should take it. You and I even got into a discussion about um, and who should administer it, and when should it be administered, and all this other stuff. So, what it did is it brought questions to the forefront, right, Travis?
1: It did, yes. So, let's let's dive into some of these questions, yeah. shall we? Uh, one question, and and this is really one I've formulated so that we can answer the other ones. How's that? Okay, cool. And so that question is, what does the Lord's Supper make us? So when we do the Lord's Supper, so I I think the best way to think about Christian living is sort of in terms of a marriage okay Mm. uh stay stay with me i'm going to press this a bit and uh (laughs) we're going to all all analogies break down so obviously you can break down my analogy at some level but uh when does a couple actually get married? Like, when are they officially married? Is it when they say "I do"? Is it when they eat the cake? Is it when they consummate the marriage? Is it whenever they sign the marriage certificate? Is it when everybody claps so the minister says, "I pronounce you husband and wife"? Like, when is it actually a marriage?
0: Is it? Are we in four thousand AD or are we in? Uh, I'm asking you. What do you think? When, I w- I've is- I've always said, and I think this is a slippery slope. I think a lot of people can use this. Um to, to live in sin. I, my, my belief is, is that when you, when you have sex with somebody, you have married them. Like you, you have,
1: you would argue for consummation.
0: Yeah. Like you've, you in a way, like that's, what's so dangerous about sex before marriage is that you're in essence in God's eyes, you're married.
1: Yeah. I, I, I can see what you're saying and where you're coming from. I would say when you take the covenant together,
0: uh-huh. because yeah,
1: you know, like just because you have men and women that live in close proximity, doesn't mean you have a marriage. And just because you have men and women who've had sex together, doesn't necessarily mean you had a marriage either. Cause you that's why have,
0: I asked is this is 4,000 AD.
1: Yeah. If you could have, <laughs> if you could have a marriage with it. You could have consummation with no, with no covenant, you know right, what I mean? Exactly. And exactly. that's very problematic. And so, um, so if we sort of apply this analogy to the church, um, you know, we, we got to think through this for just a minute. The most instruction that we get on the Lord's supper is found in 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, and that's where Paul gives us some clarity. There's some problems in the church in Corinth with the Lord's Supper, and they're not really doing it right. They're not performing it well. Mm. Their motives behind it are not going well, so they're not doing it collectively well, and their motives behind it individually are not going well, so you have like a twofold fold problem. Uh, Paul tells us uh, if anyone is inclined to be uh, contentious, we have no such practice, nor do churches of God. And he goes on to say, but in the following instruction, I do not commend you because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. So there is a concept here. Paul's expectation is the church is going to be coming together, much like I'm in a marriage, that you come together in a marriage. You know, I have, I know of one individual who lives here in Tennessee and his wife lives in California. And they've been that way for five years. They've not seen each other in five years. Wow! And I don't know what kind of a marriage that really would be if your wife lived on the other side of the continent yeah. for a long time. And so, you know, it, consummation and that act is important for keeping the marriage kind of going. You know yeah, what I mean? It's absolutely in many ways that consummation is sort of reaffirming the covenant vow that you took. And that's part of what makes it a working viable marriage. But in the body of Christ, when we bring this over, in this analogy, you know, the, the public declaration and the covenant making happens at baptism, right? That's sort of like the wedding day. That's where the vows taken to Christ and publicly there. And then I would argue then that the Lord's Supper is where we're going to com- recommit to Christ and also to commit to others, because, um, you know, we need to point out that Paul says, because there is one bread for all of us to share that one bread. So the many parts become one. So when we're we're taking the Lord's Supper, in many ways, this is when we're constituting a church. And so when we have the Lord's Supper, we're saying we are a church. You know, that's kind of the parameter. One body coming together with one bread, you Mm -hmm. know. Uh, Paul, he kind of talks about how they're not doing that well. Um, and so Paul here kind of roots the church's unity in the celebration of the Lord's Supper that there is one body because there is one bread and mm-hmm. that bread being broken. So um, now, uh, you know, how do you get churches? How do you make a church? You know, like, well, first of all, you got to have Christians, right? I mean, that's the simplest thing. If you went to, you know, they're begging for pastors and church planners in Montana. There are cities where no churches exist. It's not mm-hmm. like there's like a free will and a, you know, Southern better way. there's no churches. Like there are whole towns where there are no gospel believing Bible preaching, teaching churches. So first you got to have Christians, people who have repented, but just because you have Christians in a town doesn't mean you have a church, right? No more than you've got men and women in town And you got marriages, right? Just because you got men and women in a town doesn't mean you got marriages. It means you got men and women in a town. You know, just because you got Christians that meet in the freezer aisle at at the grocery store, there's no church there. It's just Christians meeting in the freezer aisle. So, you know, the second thing you got to have is they got to kind of come together, covenant together, and kind of form a body there. You know, that they're going to be committed to Christ and to each other. And to be, I would argue, to be saved is going to make you part of church life. I think we've done another episode like this. And, uh, you know, just like in a marriage where vows are taken, you know, to, a church is born when a group of, of Christians commit to one another to do all that Jesus commanded the church to do together, gathering for worship, building each other in love, bearing each other's burdens, uh, and celebrating baptism and the Lord's Supper together. These are all marks of a church, and in some ways, you know, that baptism and then that, you know, Lord's Supper kind of, you know, goes in that analogy, so... Um, so yeah, so that would be kind of what I would say first. So I would say, what does the Lord's Tupper make us? It makes us a church is really what I think the Paul's teaching here.
0: And that's what we um, talked about. We talked a lot about that in that first episode of, you know, who can take communion? When can they take communion? Who can administer communion? All that stuff. So it, I think it is good that you kind of started on this is that it does. You got to have that kind of foundation, right. Of having a church to to begin with
1: yeah so so that's kind of the parameter here so this is this is going to spill over here and kind of answer the other questions because we have to have this framework in order to answer the other questions the um the next question i think that came in is you're going to be kind of dovetailed to this and and what was that again zach is it what gatherings is that yeah what
0: the the so you built the foundation for us just now so, what gatherings may celebrate the Lord's Supper was was one of the questions that, that was brought up to us. Can, can right, an individual so, celebrate it alone? Okay. Can you do it with families? Like I've right. brought this to you. Like I right. I can't remember. We've done many and podcasts. I,
1: I quickly answered it, but I didn't give you a full explanation. Right. So I'm gonna do that and,
0: now. And I can't remember whether that was a conversation that we had <laughs> together. Or I think we it was actually, a little
1: tongue in cheek, but that sparked this question. Yeah, like, for sure. It yeah. sparked this question. So um, so let me continue with Paul's instruction, because we need that here. First Corinthians 10 and 11. in um, one section, he says, you come together for the better or for the worse. So let me ask you a question, Zach. Let's pretend like we're going to have, I'm going to host a dinner party. and It's going to be a dinner party for my most closest friends and intimate friends in my family. All right. What are some things that if you wanted to ruin my dinner party, what are some things you would do to ruin my dinner party?
0: Um, put put like a show or a movie on in the background. Like All when, right, we're, yeah. when we're you trying to do something, we're you trying to not be focused on what's happening. Right. right. You would be yes, distracting.
1: Yeah. Um, or if we flip this and you were having the dinner party, you invited me how would you feel if I came early and as you were setting food out, I was just taking a plate and eating before everybody got there, or I got my family and another family and we ate before everybody else got together and ate and prayed and acknowledged the group being there. Like that would kind of ruin it a little bit. Don't you think that would just be not kosher? You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Uh, So you know, Paul's saying here, when you come together, you come together not for the better, but for the worse, because, and, and this becomes clearer as he gives more instruction. I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. So there's there's differences. They're not united in baptism and doctrine like they should be. It says, therefore, when you come together in, in 1120 it is not really the Lord's supper. So there's a motivation problem. Like there's the reasons that they're there is, is differing and wrong. Right. And then finally in verses 33 and 34 of chapter 11 in first Corinthians, he says, when you come to go to eat, wait for one another so that when you gather, you will not come under judgment. So there's a need for the body to come together. Just as we saw a minute ago, one bread, one body, the many parts become one taking the Lord's supper is what makes us a church here. Paul in this letter here is addressing them. He's saying God's church at Corinth to those who are sacrificed in Christ Jesus, the saints, right? He's writing to a local body. That is the context of the letter. So the implication is when the local body comes together, it's kind of like ball teams, right? You and I are big Tennessee ball fans, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We love the Vols go Vols all the way. Uh, and, um, you know that football team they're gonna have how many games this season Zach? like is 10. it are we up to fourteen now or is it well, thirteen dep- yeah
0: and it depends on yes,
1: so, but they're a team other days than Saturday when they play, right
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: they're they're still the volunteers when they're on campus in math class, they're That's still right. the volunteers when they're. You know, at their dorm, chilling out, watching SpongeBob or whatever it is football players watch. I don't know. I don't <laughs> think it's SpongeBob, or whatever. My point is this: there is special times they come together for competition, and that's where they really show themselves. And you know, it would be weird if part of the team showed up and part of the team didn't. You know what I mean? That would not be considered right. And so Paul here is kind of making this sort of same type of inference that there's these these distinct times when the church is going to gather together gather herself together in a local form when he says in 18 there he's explicitly saying when you come together as a whole like when a team comes together to play ball uh when you do that in a special way come together do this supper together do it with the intent that it's meant to do renewing the covenant you made in baptism and be the church does that make sense
0: absolutely i mean i think that's pretty i mean that's pretty direct on on kind of why uh, it needs to be done with the body and not kind of out nonchalant somewhere else. Do you have anything to add to that? I mean, uh, what are, I mean, what we're, what, what kind of got us into the slippery slope was like, you know, what about a family doing it or, or right. what about a, a small group doing it? Or what about a user group doing unfortunately, it?
1: Unfortunately, those are fairly common practices that, you know, small groups and families. And, and I think what has happened is people have begun to see Uh, we, We see the Lord's Supper in a very individualistic 21st century American culture to where we see the Lord's Supper almost as like an intense devotion. Mm. Like that's kind of how we, we view it like an intense devotion time. But again, it's about I and not the collective. And we're missing the point that just like when the team hits the field Saturday for sec football, it ain't about the individual. It's about the team. Mm. I mean, nobody likes it whenever the individual goes out there for all the glory, do they, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and tries to make it about them. And the Lord's supper is very much about that. And I think what's behind that. And, and I, am going to say this, and I'm not trying to hurt people's feelings, but I think it's true. What's behind that is a deep-seated thought, and you probably haven't thought about it this way, but a foundational thought of we really don't need the church and we can do this on our own. But yeah. the reality that the Bible teaches is, no, you need the church. You need the church at least for this. So uh, so let's let's kind of talk about this. I was asked specifically about one of these things on the list, and I won't tell you which one, but, you know, where are some places that you should not do the Lord's Supper, right? So here's, the, here's my direct instruction to you uh i I would say because of the because of the writings of paul to a local body family should not partake of this unless they're like it's a family church you know what i'm saying like because that remember what if you'll go back to my first point there are some family churches and house churches if you're a house church then fine but if you're part of another church the local body no you know it's what makes you that uh campus ministry i was just talking to my dear friend neil nelson i think i'm going to have him on here join us as a host uh, soon but we were talking about how um Inner varsity will not do the Lord's Supper and Baptism. Um, when I was at Southern Seminary, we had a chapel. We had preaching of the gospel. We had worship music. Never a baptism, never a Lord's Supper, because we were not a church. We were a training ground and an institution, mm. a parachurch ministry, but we were not the church. I mean, the building looked like a church. You went in there it felt like Sunday morning service. It wasn't a church, and we didn't do that. Um, retreat centers or college camp, college classes. Would not do those there. Um, a youth group, you know, when they're out away from the church doing like a D now or they're doing team missions, I, I would say no. Uh, I have I have seen a lot of couples do the Lord's Supper at weddings, and I'm not a fan. I've not been a fan ever because I think it's a misunderstanding of Paul's teaching. Uh, I also think it's kind of weird. <laughs> This is just me personally, but I also think it comes across as a little weird, uh, trying to use Christ's intimacy to increase your own intimacy in your marriage. And I and I understand that happens, but it's almost like it can become a a, a bit almost Pharisaical, you know, and and kind of putting self first above the church whenever you do that in a marriage in a wedding, you know. So I would say no to that. I would advise chaplains as a no, you know, I, I'm a volunteer chaplain. Did you know this? I didn't, I didn't. I'm a volunteer chaplain at the hospital.
0: Oh yeah, maybe. Yeah.
1: And I was, I've been asked to do, you know, either baptism or the Lord's supper. I think baptism is in the same category too. And, uh, and they said, will you perform that? And I said, no, (laughs) I will not perform that for individuals. I'm not a church. Uh, And I don't want to be seen as a minister of the gospel as somebody, you know, I, it bothers me, I think sometimes with our capitalistic culture, we want to look at ministers through capitalistic business lenses and say pastors are just people who render religious services, and that's not what we are. We're men called by God to point to Christ, to decrease, so he must increase. It's a totally different paradigm to look yeah. at. Um, the other thing, too, is um, now unless a military chaplain and the soldiers have constituted a church, then by all means you know, take communion together. They've done that. And then, um, so those are just a few. Uh, one that is probably going to be the most controversial that people probably, you know, we may get hate mail over, but that's okay. Cause I think it's what Paul's teaching uh, in uh, is homebound people that are physically not able to gather anymore. Like right. they have some sort of ailment. Uh, I, I know that there are a lot of denominations that will take them the Lord's supper. Um, I think again, It's sad when that happens, and they can't. And if they were in physical condition to be with the church, they would do that, but they're just physically not able. Right. And point to the Lord's Supper in the same realm as the the baptism, the thief on the cross. They didn't, they weren't like, let's run and get some water real quick and baptize him before he dies. You know, there wasn't time for that. Right. And so, if they've been a faithful believer, again, if we use the marriage analogy, if one partner gets sick, you can still be married without being able to consummate your marriage anymore you know if you're physically ill but you're still married you know and and we kind of need to think of those members that way
0: i think this is but, the hard thing for other people that are listening i want to say something just if you've done one of these things it doesn't mean you know you're a you're terrible person sure. or I you're mean, going to hell or anything <laughs> like that um you know we we all make mistakes and and i think the dichotomy of this dude is what's funny to me as i'm listening to you talk the thing that keeps coming over me is that the you know it's this dichotomy of The communion and the Lord's Supper is so important and should be so, you know, put on a pedestal and focused on and looked at. But at the same time, you can't break the rules to go around to do it in other ways that you shouldn't do it. Like, it's kind of a weird thing. Like, a lot of people would say, man, if this is so important, the the gates should be open to consume it and do it however I I need to, because it's a very, very, very important thing. But I think kind of like you said we have um in a way in some weird way maybe commercialized it to a to a point where to get it done we break the rules or we don't do it the way that it was ever intended to, to be done and i think that's what i'm kind of wrestling with is a maybe you haven't because you've been in the ministry but most of us have probably taken communion inappropriately at some point in one um, of these contexts that yeah. i described yeah <laughs> so. um and so well and and some you know, of
1: these and i want to say this too if you if you have been in this uh, listen, I I can understand, and I've done it before. When I first got in ministry, I made the homebound mistake. In my first year of ministry, I made the homebound one. I did it and I, I was give, I gave myself a way out of it and I still did it, but I kind of stopped because as I've grown to understand what Paul has said, I've come to see that that's not in the best interest of the church body, you know, to do that. And, and really of what the instruction is here in scripture. Yeah. But there's a lot of compassion behind that, but, you know, uh, and there's a lot of like wanting to do the right thing, but perhaps not, not thinking all this through maybe yeah. is a better way to say it.
0: And, and I, and I, just to put a bow on this certain section as we, as we move on here. The the one argument that I can just hear other people saying was what Jesus, you know, Jesus and his disciples weren't a church necessarily when they took communion the very first night. Mm -hmm. They were just a group of guys having a supper in the evening and he administered communion. That was the first communion. Would your your argument would be, yes, that may be true. But when Paul makes it clear 30 years later, 20 years later, 10 years later, whenever he would have written that, what? probably in 50 AD somewhere in there mm-hmm. yeah. um we, we had we
1: didn't have first Corinthians 10 yes 11 so Cor- we
0: Corinthians that. usurps and trumps not to well, say trumps it, Jesus it, per se but like it it puts yeah. down new regulatory information for us to move forward on
1: well it, it clarifies I think it clarifies yeah. what yes, Jesus yes, yes. is doing you know what I mean and uh, so yeah so to summarize this whole section up celebrate the Lord's Supper only in the gathering of the church as a whole The you know don't downplay it and let sex and divisions come up like that. The uh, S-E- Lord's SECTS. Yeah, that's right. To so use your words. That's today's word of the day, children. Sex.
0: Sex. Yeah. Uh, so, okay. The, so, so so go ahead. The Lord's so,
1: Supper yeah. defines our identity as a church and expresses our unity and church precisely because we do it together. In fact, I have become so convinced of this. I told my deacons in the last deacons meeting, I said, I think I just want to do the Lord's Supper when we have combined worship of the two services and the body's one, because I'm, I'm it's coming from conviction out of these texts.
0: Yeah, so. I mean, us talking, this is something fun for the listeners. Us discussing these topics has uh, put, put a pin in the heart of a pastor, which is good stuff. It's always good to be constantly checking yourself and seeing how the Holy Spirit's leading us and how to do things that God has ordained for us. So let's move on to to maybe, you know, we've got about five, six minutes left. Um, so hang with us here if you're listening. Uh, who can participate in the Lord's Supper? To me, this is a really simple thing that I, 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 and Travis, you can talk about it. My frustration with the who may participate in the Lord's Supper is that I feel like most churches really glaze over um, this in the service. Like, I don't feel like they explain it. In depth enough, yeah. and like my church, I not to throw them under the bus. We do it every week, bomb which is fine. Which is fine with me, but because it's being administered by, um, you know, different people, and I'm I'm interested to hear your thoughts on that as well. Um, the bottom line is is that it's it's not a specific about hey, if you're not a follower of Christ, you shouldn't don't take the Lord's Supper, you know. And if you have sin in your right. life, like if you have unconfessed sin or you've sinned against a brother and you've not confessed that sin and worked it out you shouldn't be taking communion so go, go ahead and nail this out for us it's pretty okay. simple but it it's can be simple. quite controversial
1: there's not one verse you can point to we're going to have to do some inferences here to make sure we understand that real quickly first of all the lord's supper is for believers and believers only those who have professed jesus christ as lord and savior uh paul says in first corinthians 11 27 Uh, Those who eat without discerning the connection between trusting Christ and loving people are guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. So we should fence that table. Non-Christians do not discern this connection or they don't live for it. It would be taking it in an unworthy manner for them to partake. So it is not for non-Christians. Second of all, I would also argue that the Lord's Supper is for baptized believers. This is a little controversial. I've had some pushback from people on this in the years I've been in ministry, but I I hold to this personally. Uh, Acts 2.38, baptism is where faith is publicly declared. And as we've said earlier, the Lord's Supper reaffirms that, which we've already proclaimed publicly. Uh, Peter says, repent and be baptized. Every one of you, it's like the baptism is the first command. Like there's not a reason, you know. The Lord's Supper comes later. Baptism is the first command. You should get baptized first. I understand sometimes there might be schedule differences, but sequentially it should be baptism then Lord's Supper. To,
0: and right? to your point, let me let me interject on this. To your point, I, I mean, I've I've known people in my life that have made professions of faith, and and they've had time to get baptized, and they've not done it. And at some point, I have lovingly said, "What's going on? Like th- this should be something you." you're wanting to do like was your was your conversion real was this something that was was really in depth so i think i'm i'm right in line with you there if you this is not somebody who gets saved on sunday and can't get baptized because the church doesn't do it for a month this is somebody who's waited for a year or two or three or four or five and they still haven't been baptized that there's something going on there internally so yeah i agree with
1: yeah i mean the point of the lord's supper it's a it's it isn't a private meal among friends it's the it's the church's public celebration of fellowship with Christ and each other. And that's yeah. why only those who've been baptized, only those who have given public Christians, uh, you know, made that declaration can celebrate. Uh, and finally, the Lord's Supper is for baptized believers who belong to a local church. Remember what I said? Paul was writing to who? The church at Corinth, right. yeah, it's to a local body, and so I'm not going to press that point anymore. Do we want to try to get the last one in,
0: or do yeah, we let's, a- let's yeah, I think we got time. This we're going to we have might this, go a over this podcast a little longer, but we were trying to get all this in, and I think we've been really, really good about it. So, yeah. who should lead the Lord's Supper? This is this is something um, that that I'm real intrigued to hear your answer on.
1: All right, so if a church has pastors or a pastor, uh, one of the pastors should lead the Lord's Supper either the pastor singular that's there or the pastor. If a church does not have a pastor, they should decide together as a body, which one of their members is most qualified, which is likely going to be whoever teaches the Bible most regularly among them. Okay. Let me explain. Uh, Why should a pastor lead the Lord's supper? First of all, the Lord's supper is an act of the church and pastors are those who have been appointed to lead the church. Paul writes to us in uh, in Titus, he's telling him how to set up the church. He says he must hold firm, he's talking about those who are overseers or elders, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and to rebuke those who contradict it. So you need whoever's at the helm of leading the church to do this in unity together, because remember, the parameters, specific times, everybody's doing it in unity, one bread, it's a, a it's whoever's. It's a person that's been set aside as a church pastor leader. Somebody's had those hands laid on them as, as has that calling. First um, Timothy 3.2, therefore, as an overseer, you know, this is an office of the church. There's really only two. That's pastor and deacon. Uh, you know, I, I would be okay if in the absence of a pastor, if a deacon had to do it, the deacon has to do it. They've been set aside as well. You know, if you go back to that scenario where a church doesn't have a pastor, it may need to be that deacon that teaches Sunday school. You know what I mean? Whoever that may be. Um, It says here, the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-control, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. So again, the reminders that are there. So the whole church is accountable to hear and heed the word, and pastors are those who are specially charged to preach and tell the word. And the Lord's Supper is kind of a truth that we can touch of the word of God. So it makes the most sense that those who are called to that would lead that.
0: And some of the stuff cancels some of the other questions out, you know, like as a father in my home, you know, as as, even though I may be walking with God and leading my family, I have not been checked by other men in the church in my home per se. Right. Like, so if you're somebody who's like, I'm going to administer the Lord's Supper to my family at home, um, there's multiple reasons why that that's that's what has convicted me most about this. It's just not just one thing. It's not just that I'm not doing it with the body. Right. Mm -hmm. It's that I've also haven't been checked necessarily, uh, the way a deacon or an elder would be checked or a pastor right. would have been checked in the church, you know, exactly. and said, Hey, this guy is, 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 is the one who's leading it. So I, I think the reason why, uh, as I always tell people, I'm the, the lay guy here, right? Like I'm the one that's always checking this and saying like, is he just pastoring us too much here? Is Travis just trying to lay down his opinions? What really strikes me in all of this, if you're listening is there's multiple things here. That disqualify just anybody from doing this. It's not just one thing. Uh, so when you focus through all those things, that's what happens. So t- Travis, as we we've got a couple more minutes here. What is happening if you're in a church and some of these things, like we've talked about, two or three different things? What if you know that there's unbelievers taking, you know, communion? What if you know? What if if you're in a church, uh, you know, where the song leader, you know, that just a random song leader is administering communion? what do you, do you refrain from taking communion when that happens? Like how far do you take not participating in communion? Obviously you can write a letter, have a conversation with your mm-hmm. pastor, but what should you do in those moments if you see things not happening the correct way?
1: Well, if you're concerned that the church is doing the Lord's supper in an unworthy manner, then yes, I probably would abstain. Um, you know, I would, I have, I, I went one time to a very liberal mainline denomination church And they were not gospel-centered, they were not biblically-centered, and they did the Lord's Supper. That was kind of their main thrust of their service, was the communion time. And whenever it came my turn to partake, I did not partake, because I did not want them to think that I was in agreement with what they were doing Mm. or saying. I was not, you know, and I did not really think they were part of the church, capital C, universal. That would have been an affirmation of that. I think that I would have a conversation with your pastor in humility and love or whoever's in leadership if you don't have a pastor that's there. And uh, and I would share some of these concerns that we've been over in the podcast. And can we correct some of these things? Because some of this may not be a malicious intent to not do it in a worthy manner. It may just be there hasn't been a thought out. Uh, theology of it and application of it you know absolutely and that's okay you know that that's one of the beautiful things about being if you're southern baptist like me you're a congregationalist and so congregations kind of keep pastors in check on these items you know what i mean so and then finally responsibility just to
0: just to clarify one thing that you've every kind of we kind of we bring something else up if you're visiting a church can you take communion with them
1: well you're that's a whole other topic, but the short answer is yes. If it is a gospel-centered Bible right, teaching,
0: which church. is what you just said, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, but I, yeah.
1: I have taken communion at my wife's church in Saint Louis, and I've never been a member there. Probably never will be. But I've taken communion whenever we've taken gone there with her parents because they're a gospel-centered Bible teaching church. You know.
0: So you're a part uh, of the yeah, even though it's not your body, your yeah, church, because, local church body, you're it's a part of the body
1: here's the quick application. Okay. So you're on vacation somewhere. You go to church there. If you go to church there and you think I could see myself, if I lived in this place and if I lived in this location in close proximity to this body, I would be part of this body. If you can answer yes to that question, then take communion with them. If you would answer no, then don't.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's good. And that kind of goes back to kind of what we talked about. All right. What nuggets do you have for us here? As we close this out, this question, we had several questions from listeners and uh, we, we, we've addressed them and, um, we always try to tell you if you have other questions, hit us up at faithfully entrusted at gmail.com or you can call us 423-707-2504. We would love to hear from you. And I think a lot of these questions are 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 people that uh that have, that kind of know us directly and, and are are hitting us up uh specifically. But uh please, if you have questions or if there's other things that you'd like to know about communion, please don't hesitate to ask us and we'll try to get those questions on the air just like we have today. Uh Travis, what do you got for us?
1: Well, um, this quote comes from Mark Dever. I'd like to give a tip of the hat to the boys at Nine Marks because they've helped me think through all of this. And uh, Mark Dever says this. He's the one that's over Nine Marks. And he okay. says, it is true that the Lord's Supper is only for sinners, but within that group, it is only for repentant sinners. Mm. And I thought that is a beautiful quote to end today's session with.
0: So. Yeah, I love it. Well, very, very good. Well, thank you so much for listening to the Faithfully Entrusted Podcast. You can check out our Facebook page or find this podcast wherever podcasts listen to iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music. Google Play, wherever you can listen to a podcast, it is living there and it's alive. This is a uh, this has been a great episode. Kind of answering some questions from episode number eleven on August first, twenty twenty two. So go back and check that podcast out if you haven't. And there's other topics that we've discussed. Uh, a lot of foundational gospel things that will help you with your faith. Travis is brilliant. He's been in the ministry for twenty plus years. Oh, and uh, flattery will get you everywhere. And uh, <laughs> he he he. And it's not just him. It's like he said. He goes into the Bible. We bring things up and we back things up with scripture. We always love to hear from you. So check us out. Hit us up, faithfullyentrusted.com. Anything else, Travis? I hope you have a great day. Thanks for all your uh, wisdom.
1: No, one One last thought, though, for myself is, uh, you know, when people are church disciplined from a local body, what's the first thing that they're removed from? It's the communion. Lord's Supper, yeah, right? Yeah, communion, yeah. And so what is the term that's commonly used for when people are removed and disciplined from the church? They're ex-what?
0: communicated.
1: Oh, sounds like communion's in there, doesn't it?
0: Mm-hmm. it no, seems- I mean, I, that's that's kind of what I was saying, like to your point, yeah. like when you start talking, and I think this is good. I think this is good for our listeners. You may listen to some of the day and be like, this doesn't make sense. I don't agree with this. This seems over the top. It seems like we're really focusing too much on something that ultimately doesn't save you. The point though is that when you talk things out and then go and pull out scripture, it's one of the reasons why we should be in our Bibles every day. We should be praying should be leaning on the Holy Spirit to guide us. When you when you bring this stuff out and you talk it out with other believers in love, non judgmental, non hateful, mm-hmm. things kind of answer themselves. the The questions get answered, uh, just like you just said, Travis. If it's such if someone is living in belligerent sin and you kick them out of the church, the first thing they're or they're, they're excommunicated from the church. Yeah, they can't take care. Yeah, they, keep, they can't. They so coming. if it's that big of a deal then should we be taking it nonchalantly, you know, in, in other situations? So I think that's really, really good stuff. Well, dude, thank you so much for Dr. Travis Tyler. I'm Zachariah Pew. Join us next time when we open God's word to find out how Christ has faithfully entrusted us with his word. We will see you next time. Thanks.
1: Thank you.